And so let us hear then God's word, 1 Samuel 29, verse 1. Then the Philistines gathered together all their armies at Aphek, and the Israelites encamped by a fountain, which is in Jezreel. And the lords of the Philistines passed in review by hundreds and by thousands, but David and his men passed in review at the rear with Achish. Then the princes of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the princes of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me these days or these years? And to this day I have found no fault in him since he defected to me. But the princes of the Philistines were angry with him. So the princes of the Philistines said to him, Make this fellow return, that we may go back to the place which you have appointed for him. And do not let him go down with us to battle, lest in battle he become our adversary. For with what could he reconcile himself to his master, if not with the heads of these men? Is this not David, of whom they sang to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? Then Achish called David and said to him, Surely as the Lord lives, you have been upright, and you're going out and you're coming in with me, and the army is good in my sight. For to this day I have not found evil in you since the day of your coming to me. Nevertheless, the lords do not favor you. Therefore, return now and go in peace, that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. So David said to Achish, What have I done? And to this day, what have you found in your servant as long as I have been with you, that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? Then Achish answered and said to David, I know that you are as good in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the princes of the Philistines have said, You shall not go up with us to the battle. Now therefore, rise early in the morning with your master's servants, who have come with you, and as soon as you are up early in the morning and have light, depart. So David and his men arose early to depart in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines, and the Philistines went up to Jezreel. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. <clears throat> well, as I've said, we are here now in this last uh, section of the book, of 1 Samuel. And we started that in chapter 27. And there we saw David basically grew tired of the chase. And he despaired, thinking that Saul would eventually win. But rather than trust in God... He lived by fear. Rather than live according to his promises, rather than even seeking God's direction, David took matters into his own hands, and he decided to flee to Gath again, as he had done before, and to live with the Philistines. Of course, his plan worked, and Saul did stop pursuing him. Now, while in Philistia, of course, Achish welcomed David and his men, which possibly with women and children, numbered even a few thousand altogether. He gave them the town of Ziklag in southern Philistia. And so David faithfully served Achish and even the Philistines by defeating the enemies in the south. Now, simultaneously, David was successfully defeating these enemies, but he did not inform Achish that he defeated both Israel's and the Philistine enemies. Achish thought that David was fighting against Israel as well. So, in chapter 28, verses 1 and 2, 
the Philistines decide to attack Israel. And Achish then expected David to join with the attack. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago. 600 excellent warriors would greatly aid Philistia. And so David uh, is, is certainly welcome from Achish's standpoint. And, of course, David might provide some intel in regard to Saul and Israel. Now, we left David in chapter 28, verse 2, and we had this interruption here with Saul and the necromancer. But um, when we left him in chapter 28, verse 2, David again spoke rather vaguely. Achish expected David to protect him during the battle and fight against Israel, assuming David had been fighting against Israel all along. And so we left him with this dilemma. What's he going to do? His half-truths have gotten him into trouble now. And so our basic premise here simply is, when we live by fear, it leads to problems. And in in this case, we see how living by fear can lead to half-truths and lies. And of course, once you start telling those, then you tell others to make up for it, and you end up in a really tough situation. I'm sure we've all been there in one way or another. Well, we pick up now with all this, after this interruption here by uh, the author with Saul and the necromancer. And we come here now to chapter 29 and in verse 1. And we could basically skip over verses 3 to 25 in the last chapter and not miss a beat. And so we pick up then, verse 1 says, Then the Philistines gathered together all their armies at Aphek and Israelites encamped by a fountain, which is in Jezreel. All right, here's where I want you to look at the map a moment. And uh, again, if you use this colored one that I've given you, or if you have another one, it's a, it's a broader view than the one that we've been using more recently. And uh, you'll see there on the, the coastline of the Mediterranean there down to the south and west, you see Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashdod, and then Ekron and Gath inland a little bit. Those are the five key cities of the Philistines. You see where Ziklag is. Originally in the tribe of Simeon, which... Of course, remember, Simeon was absorbed into Judah. And then if you go from Ekron and go basically north and slightly eastward, you come to Aphek, roughly 28 to 30 miles north of that. And then from there, continue now north and more eastward, and you see where Jezreel is near the northern border of Manasseh, West Manasseh and Issachar. See Mount Mora and Mount Tabor on this map. You come further to the south and to the east, you see Beth Shon. Hey, remember Gilboa is there, Shunem's in there, Endor is all in that basic area. And so it's about 40 miles from um, Aphek up here to Jezreel. Now it mentions to us that uh, there is a spring there, or a fountain as the New King James says, and that is still flowing today apparently. So... Uh, help to water the Jezreel Valley. All right, one last thing here in this way. If you turn back to chapter 4, here just a moment. Chapter 4, you remember this is when the Philistines came against Israel in the days of Eli and his sons. And in verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines and encamped beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped in Aphek. We have the same location here now, you know, roughly 40 years later, actually even more than that, 
Okay? And that's, it, it makes sense that they go to the same place because it was along a main road, a main highway, and so obviously it'd be easy for them to traverse that. All right, now, back here in chapter 29, and in verse 2, it says, And the lords of the Philistines passed in review by hundreds and by thousands, but David and his men passed in review at the rear with Achish. All right, so I just called your attention to the five key cities, and so hence the five key lords are, are here. And so these cities each had their own king, like Achish, and so it was kind of a city-state scenario, but they did work together, and obviously you see that here. Each one of these kings then had command over their armies, and so they had command over units of hundreds and thousands, as it says. And so the kings of Ashdod, Ashkelon, Ekron, and Gaza marched on past this checkpoint. And everybody reviewed them, or certain people did, or whatever happened there exactly. And uh, everything's great. They're on their way up either to Aphek or they're already there. There is some debate on how to take that with verse 1. Um, verse 1 suggests that they're at Aphek now, but maybe some of this inspection happened somewhere along the way. Um, but then we are told that Akish and David and the 600 men are at the end. Okay? And, and as we talked about in chapter 27, David is basically a mercenary. He is being paid for helping Akish, and, and David is serving Akish. Remember, Ziklag is all part of that uh, arrangement and so on. And so David is expected to fight, as Akish has done. But, verse 3 then, we have a turn here, obviously. Then the princes of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Akish said to the princes of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me these days or these years? And to this day I have found no fault in him since he defected to me. All right. Well, some of the chieftains then rise up and they object. This term Hebrews, uh, we may not think too much of it, but typically it was used in that day by non-Israelites to refer to the Israelites, and it also tended to have a kind of derogatory meaning uh, for them toward the Israelites. Um, so they're not speaking very kindly of David here in this way. Um, now it's possible that these chieftains were unaware of what David was doing with Achish, and so hence the question, what's he doing here? Um, I think it is more likely that word had spread, and they were aware of what David was doing. But then they're now asking Akish, why would you bring an Israelite to fight against other Israelites? That doesn't make any sense. And so I, I think that's more likely, though the other is, is a possibility. So here's their question, and it's, you might say, a rather obvious question, something uh, we might ask today. If you have all these illegal immigrants coming into our country and they join the military, you might wonder who they're really uh, loyal to. So, <clears throat> notice how Akish responds, and he holds back nothing. He's very open. Well, David is a servant of Saul, the king of Israel, and he has stayed, of course, in Gath and then in Ziklag these days or years. So let me pause here just a moment. You might remember in chapter 27, verse 7, that there is a little uncertainty as to the duration of David's stay. Uh, remember I said that the Hebrew could be translated in a few different ways, but most likely a year and four months was uh, the, the answer, the way we should go with it. Well, in light of what Akish says here, 
it suggests that as well, right? We're not just talking four months and a few days, which you could say in the Hebrew there in chapter 27. But here he says years. Now, not two or five or ten, but more than a year, certainly part of a second year. And so that's um, uh, what he intends, and it gives us some uh, clue as to take chapter 27. So David has been there for 16 months. And Achish has no reason to doubt David. Now, it's quite interesting how he words this. The New King James paraphrased it, and your translation may as well. At the end of the verse, it says, I have found no fault in him since he defected to me. Now, the Hebrew literally says, from the day of his falling, right, to fall over, right, the day of his falling. Now, certainly Achish would not be thinking this, but is this a clue that... um, Right? David did fall in sin in chapter 27, okay? and he still has been living in sin to some degree. Okay? So it's an interesting way that it's worded. Uh, but the ultimate point is, he did leave Israel, and he is joined with the Philistines. But do you hear what's going on? And we've been saying this since chapter 27. Okay? The deceived, Akish is defending the deceiver, David. He's not aware of it. All right, well, we keep going here then, verse 4. But the princes of the Philistines were angry with him. So the princes of the Philistines said to him, Make this fellow return, that he may go back to the place which you have appointed for him, and do not let him go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become our adversary. For with what could he reconcile himself to his master, if not with the heads of these men? Again, this is a very understandable response by the Philistines. And the point here is pretty straightforward. But notice there, uh, the, the, the first four verbs can all be taken as imperatives. You can vary it somewhat. It is permissible. But the natural reading uh, is to take these as imperatives. And even if you only count three of them, that's how the New King James basically takes it here. Um, they're still commanding a quiche. You must do that. They're angry with him. You need to do this. And they're obviously commanding Achish not to allow David to join in. And so, send David back to Ziklag. Do not bring him to the battle. We do not want him to turn against us in the middle of war. And that happened actually in chapter 14, if you may remember. Some of the uh, Israelites had joined with the Philistines, and then when things finally turned, they turned against the Philistines. They don't want that to happen again. Now, the word here for adversary is the Hebrew word Satan, so Satan. Uh, now, in Psalm 109, accuser is the better way of translating the word, but it's still the word Satan. And here, adversary makes a little better sense for our translation. Um, but basically, they, they don't want any Satans among them. What well, better way for David to find favor with Saul if he were to not only cut off Goliath's head, but a few more here, if not many. So verse 5 then, is this not David of whom they sang to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? Now note, there's an assumed answer to this question, and New King James does a nice job of translating it to give you the assumed answer, and it's yes. This is David. This is the one they sang about. So you remember, it was in chapter 18, verse 7, where they first sang the song about David. 
And then if you turn back to chapter 21 here just a moment, when David first came to Gath, <clears throat> that there they did the same thing, but this time it was the servants of Achish. If you look at verse 11 of chapter 21, the servants of Achish said to him, is this not David the king of the land? Assumed answer, yes. Did they not sing of him uh, to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? So there was the servants of Achish saying, hey, you really want him here? Now in that case... David was so afraid by this that he, he pretended craziness and he got away. But this time now, it's not the servants of Achish, but the other Philistine leaders basically saying the same thing. You really want him here. They knew that David had killed Goliath. They knew he had fought against Philistines at other, uh, uh, other battles. Obviously and simply, they don't trust David. And they think Achish is deluded gullible. They are suspicious. Akish is fooled. Okay. Um, maybe they suspected some of the stuff David was doing in the south if they knew about it, but you know, they have more insight than Akish. All right, now, <clears throat> the commands are given, and so in verse 6, then, Akish obeys. Then Akish called David and said to him, Surely as the Lord lives, you have been upright, and you're going out and you're coming in with me, and the army is good in my sight. For to this day I have not found evil in you since the day of your coming to me. Nevertheless, the Lord's do not favor you. All right. <clears throat> Akish here is basically bringing the message to David. And notice how he words it. Okay. Hear that again. Surely as Yahweh lives... He doesn't use some generic name for God here. He uses the name of Israel's God, Yahweh. As Yahweh lives. He doesn't say Baal. He doesn't say Dagon or any other God. He says Yahweh. So let me pause and say this, like I said in chapter 27. David's presence had some positive impact. Just because he was not telling all the truth doesn't mean everything he did was wrong and and worthless. We see some benefits here. Okay. Remember some, as we looked at in chapter 27, some people followed David away from Gath into Israel and served David when he was king. And even when David was running from Absalom, he had a man from Gath wanting to follow David. You remember some of those passages. So David is a mixed bag. He is doing things here that are living by fear. It's not good. But that doesn't mean everything he did was bad. And so Akish is influenced. Now, you may say, well, Akish is just adding this to his pantheon of gods. And maybe so. But at least David's telling him about Yahweh. And it must have been more than just adding to a pantheon if some people followed David to Israel when he became king. So, again, notice some of the good here, even in the midst of David's sin. Well, Akish then simply is saying, uh, David, I trust you, <laughs> but the Philistine lords do not. Again, they have more insight than he does. So verse 7 then, he says, Therefore, return now and go in peace, that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. Are you, are you counting how many times Philistines are being used here? Keep seeing that full name here. And so Akish then finishes the commands 
And he says, look, go back to Ziklag in the morning. Don't be upset. Go in peace. Do this for me because it'll make it hard for me if you don't. You know, that kind of idea. All right. So David now responds to this in verse 8. <laughs> so David said to Achish, but what have I done? And to this day, what have you found in your servant as long as I have been with you, that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord, the king? See my lord, Adoni, there? Okay. A human king there, human master. All right, well, David is objecting, obviously. And uh, yet you still have to wonder, how sincere is David here? Hey, what have I done? And yet, I mean, David's getting out of his jam here. And yet, maybe David's just playing the part. <laughs> okay. But you also have to ask, what does he really mean by this? When he says, not just that part, but at the end, uh, when he says um, that uh, I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord, the king. The New King James actually translates that in, in a way that suggests that he's referring to Akish. The Hebrew is a bit more ambiguous which would suggest possibly a quiche, and that would make sense, but it's also possible it could refer to some other king. Um, and so David, again, is speaking ambiguously, like we saw in chapter 28, verse 2, and then in chapter 27. Um, so how is David responding? Is he responding sincerely? Well, sort of, <laughs> but that's been the case all along here as he went to Philistia. And so the half-truths seem to be continuing here with Achish. David has fought for the Philistines. He has defeated the Philistines' foes in the south, but David also fought for Israel, not against her, as Achish believes. And so David is continuing the ruse. His partial truths are more partial, if you will. He's keeping it going. So as I hinted at a little bit ago, you see again, when we start by living in fear rather than faith, when we are living by sight rather than looking to God, it's going to lead us to other sinful behaviors. Here for David, it's these half-truths. And of course, as we all have experienced, okay, and uh, we had to deal with that in our house here recently, when you tell a lie, there's usually truth in it, Right? Hey, I think you can say that every lie includes some truth. Hey, I suppose maybe someone could think of an example where there's no truth at all, but I think there's probably some truth in every lie that's ever uttered. But see, then what happens is we tell more lies to cover up for the initial lie, and then we tell more lies to cover up for that one, and there's more half-truths, and eventually you don't remember what's true and what isn't, and so on and so forth. So here's David adding to his half-truths. Again, something that we have done many times, I'm sure. All right. Let me say this again. I've said it in chapter 27. said it at the beginning of chapter 28. Let me say it again. I don't understand why David thinks he needs to do this. I mean, I can understand back in chapter 21 that he would be so afraid once they found out who he was and that he was the one who killed Goliath, that he would act like he was crazy. I mean, I can understand it. It wasn't right, but I can understand it. This one, I don't understand why he is not telling Akish what's going on. 
Now, I do understand that Achish could have sent him back to Israel. I understand that. But God promised that David would be protected, so I really don't understand that. Okay. Look, if David would have been forthright all along, if he would have come to Achish and, and said, look, um, you know, give us a place to stay, and hey, I'll fight against your enemies and Israel's enemies, hey, I, I'm not sure that Akish necessarily would have sent him home. But even if he did, God's promises were for David. So I, I, I'm just not convinced that David really was in such a tight position that he had to lie about not fighting against the Israelites. So anyway, um, I, I, I think we see this again. Why does he have to say this? Why couldn't he be open and say, well, you know, Akish, <clears throat> uh, you know, the Lords actually are more insightful than you. <laughs> hey, I, I actually haven't been telling you everything. Let me own up to it all now or something like that. But he doesn't do that. Okay. So, look, if you're honest from the beginning, you may get in trouble with those who hate the truth. But you won't find yourself in a hard place between truth and evil, okay? Because, right, the truth will set you free. All right, well, let's look then at verse 9. Then Akish answered and said to David, I know that you are as good in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the princes of the Philistines have said, he shall not go up with us to the battle. All right, well, Akish, again, says, look, I trust you, David. And note, he now says that David is like an angel of God. And for all of his really encouraging words to David, he then again says, look, this isn't my decision. The lords of the Philistines don't want you to come. So again, Achish is fooled. And David is guilty here by letting this misunderstanding continue. So verse 10, now therefore rise early in the morning with your master's servants who have come with you, and as soon as you are up early in the morning and have light, depart. Again, these verses are, are pretty straightforward here. Uh, that's no different here. Basically, stay tonight here in Aphek and head back to Ziklag first thing in the morning. So again, some have tried to argue they are somewhere along the way, but Aphek in verse 1 does make sense. But if they are along the way, they are outside Philistia. Because look at the next verse. So David and his men rose early to depart in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Now maybe they're somewhere in Ephraim. They're not quite to Aphek yet. But again, verse 1 would suggest they're already there. Notice that David obeys. He does what he was told here. He goes back to Ziklag. And the Philistine army then continues up to Jezreel. So for our chronology, and if you do have this in your possession, okay, you see where we go. We come now to, uh, uh, we have chapter 27, chapter 28, verses 1 and 2, now chapter 29, and then we'll go back to chapter 28, verse 4. That's our chronology. All right. <clears throat> Well, I did this in chapter 27, 
Okay, let's do it again. Is God mentioned in this chapter? Do you remember in chapter 27, was God mentioned at all? The answer is no, not in chapter 27, but he is mentioned here. But who is the one who mentions God? Not David. It's Achish. And verse 6, right, he's using the name Yahweh. And even in verse 9, when he says an angel of God, it's not the angel of El, okay, the more generic name for God even used by non-Israelites. This is the name Elohim, which is something you would expect from an Israelite. So again, David is having some good influence on Achish. He is witnessing to the truth, at least to some degree. There is some kind of at least respect from Achish toward David and his God. But David does not use God's name in this chapter. He does not speak to God. He does not speak about God. God does not speak in this chapter. The author, Gad or whoever it is, does not say anything about God either. Again, the only time God is mentioned is on the lips of Achish. And so this, like in chapter 27, is a clue that David's not doing the right thing here. He is living by fear. He should have lived by faith. Again, chapter 27, verse 1, is dictating our understanding of all of this here. He should have lived honestly with a quiche. I mean, how many times do we lie to people just because we're afraid? Again, David is not much different from us. But God may not have his name mentioned here by David, but do you see God working in this chapter? Do you see God's grace to David in spite of David? We saw the same thing in chapter 27. Here David is living in fear. He goes to the Philistines, and yet David gets a place to live. He's protected from Saul. He gets to fight against all these people in the south, and he wins, and it's good for Israel, not just Philistia. God is with David even when David isn't with God so much. And the same can be said here. David is continuing in his lies, continuing in his half-truths, and yet God is protecting David, isn't he? David's now out of his tough spot. You remember back in chapter 23 after David went to Kalah and rescued them from the Philistines? And remember the men of Kalah wanted to turn David over to Saul. And so David runs away and the men of Ziph are trying to help Saul capture David. And remember they're running around the mountain and, and Saul's about ready to capture David and the Philistines show up and Saul has to turn around and leave. And David is rescued. Well now here... The Philistines are saving David again. Do you see that? I mean, how many times are the Philistines mentioned in this chapter alone? It's the Philistines that God is using to save David. How ironic is that? Here is David living in sin, and yet it's the enemies of God that God uses to help David. And so these lords... God raises up to get David out of his tough spot. 
And remember, in chapter 23, David was in that tough spot because of Saul. In this chapter, David is in this tough spot because of David's own sin. He created the problem. He didn't in chapter 23, but here he does. And so now he will not have to fight against the Israelites. He will not have to fight against Saul. God saves him from his enemies. But God saves him from himself, too. And doesn't God do the same thing with us? <coughs> Excuse me. We may not be kings. We may not be in the same kind of spot as David. But we so frequently get ourselves into trouble because of our own sin. And God brings us out of those messes. And sometimes... We don't even realize it. God is silent. Okay? God is silent in this chapter, and yet he is working. God is so frequently silent in our lives, and yet he is working. And so David is delivered by God's silent providence, God's quiet care, God's silent mercy. How many times do we wake up, maybe it's days or weeks or even years later, and we look back and we say, you know, God just did the same thing in my life. I finally see it now. Okay. Obviously, Gad, or whoever the author is, sees it. And surely David understands it now. At the moment, he probably didn't even realize it. Okay. As far as we know, he didn't write a psalm saying, thank you, God, for getting me out of my own dilemma here. <laughs> hey, maybe he did, and we don't have it in the Psalter, or we don't know we have it in the Psalter. Um, but again, do you, do you see this? God still works in the same way today. And so don't just focus on David's sin. Don't just focus on your own sin. Look at how God works, even in spite of our sin. That's really the message of this passage, that God helps us even in our sin. But we also need to remember the broader point in this section, and that is compare David to Saul. God delivers David by his grace. Saul's not delivered, is he? He ends up dead. Note also this contrast. Remember, we ended last time in chapter 28, verse five, uh, 25, and Saul leaves in the middle of the night. But David leaves in the brightness of the morning. The contrast here seems to be very deliberate. Saul is running around in the dark, running to necromancers, talking to the dead, and all these sort of things. David, <clears throat> well, he's not so great either, but he's not that bad. He is still in the light ultimately, because of his trust in the Lord. And so David is delivered, Saul is delivered to death. And so then, remember this broader point. This too is an apology for David. We want David as our king because he never did fight against the Israelites. We've seen that in chapter 27. And David was nowhere near Saul when Saul died. Okay. probably the next day, or certainly within a few days, Saul is going to be dead from this event right here. 
And David is going to be possibly a hundred miles away. David had nothing to do with the death of Saul. I mean, think about it. If David were in Jezreel, even if he didn't kill Saul, you people might wonder, what did David have to do with that? Well, David had nothing to do with it. He wasn't there. So the Israelites are going to be more likely to accept David as king. And as we know from 2 Samuel, that, that was a challenge in and of itself. And so here again is an apology for David. All right. So here then are some of our main points from this chapter. And so, um, again, just, just marvel at the goodness of our God in spite of our sin. That's really our main point here. And so we'll look then, Lord willing, that uh, even in God's grace to us, there are consequences for our sin. That'll be chapter 30. So let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we thank you for uh, your word, and we thank you uh, for this message here. Lord, we certainly <coughs> um, are like David. We so often um, live by fear, and we do not live by faith. <coughs> Many times we do utter lies, or at least partial truths, to um, try to uh, get out of some situation or telling some something to someone and it gets us into trouble we've all been there and um, lord we confess our sin that it is not good but we are thankful lord that your grace is greater than our sin as we see here we don't have to wait till romans 5 and 6 to hear this point but your grace is greater than our sin we see it here with david and we thank you for that. We thank you that your providential care is still working. It now 3,000 years later, and you do the same kinds of things for us. We thank you, Lord, that you do not treat us as we deserve, but according to your grace. And you help your people out of our binds and, and uh, hard places. But, Lord, we also pray <clears throat> that you would not help us to be, uh, that you would prevent us from becoming apathetic and indifferent to our sin because of your grace, but may it motivate us to love and good deeds and to serve you and obey you more fully. And so we pray, and, and again, thank you for these things. We thank you for your character. We thank you for your ways. And we thank you, again, that you do not treat us as we deserve, but according to your grace in Christ. And so we pray all these things then in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat>